Hello, and we're back again with another feature session. It's probably safe to say that we're not a big fan of this club that we're going to talk about, but we are a massive fan of this guest. It's James from the Planet FPL pod. James, Thanks. how are you I'm, doing? I'm good for some, maybe a bit of FPL, just not the team I support, maybe by the sounds of it. But then when you've got an Arsenal and Chelsea fan inviting, you, inviting me on to talk about Tottenham, I mean, I was going to get digged from the start, wasn't I, basically? Yeah, from the very start. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we're thinking of a title and, yeah, the William Gallas podcast, <laughs> that, that might be. Clive Allen, maybe? One. Or you're not having that because he never played for Arsenal. Who's that, sorry? Clive Allen. Don't remember Clive Allen? Oh, yeah. he, co- he Did he cost... We paid like a million quid for him, didn't we? Yeah, and he, and he never he, played. He never yeah. played for you in the 80s. Well, he obviously... played for all the teams in London, so... Yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he did the move. whole lot. Yeah, I mean, he did yeah. William Gallus two times over, mate. Basically, is there anyone yeah. else who's played for all three of us? I'm trying to think off the top of my head, George, George Graham would be a link to all three, wouldn't he? Yeah, he played for Chelsea, yeah. managed probably Arsenal Mourinho as well. He'll, he'll probably end up managing us at some point. <laughs> but... I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for what you wish for, mate. Good, I'm going to find out a lot about that in this podcast. I tell you that. <laughs> yeah, Jordan, it's it's good of you to join us because you've not Thank you've you, not mate. been on the last few uh, feature sessions, but I'm sure you've probably got different views of, of Tottenham's current manager than than James. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah that, that's maybe the elephant in the room, Mourinho. <laughs> How do you feel about him? I can't stand the bloke. <laughs> I know what he's trying to do, but it's depressingly dull, isn't it? He's he's all right for I, from Jordan's perspective. He probably prefers the Ancelotti team. Most of the Chelsea te- fans I speak to tend to say that. Yeah. But it's it's a lot easier to set up a team defensively when you've got players like Terry, Cavallio, etc. He's walked into our place and there's nothing, and you can't play with those tactics. Um, so it's just not working at the moment. Uh, he would definitely stay till the summer because he's going to be too expensive to sack. But I think if we finish ninth in the league and don't win that League Cup final, then Tottenham might look elsewhere. Yeah, it was when Pochettino did get sacked. I mean, what what was the general sort of view on that at the time? Gutted because loved him. He's, he's the best manager we've had, certainly in the time that I've been going. Um, remarkable to think that he he got that team that was already beginning to fall apart, still got them to the Champions League final. But when when the announcement came, it did feel like he'd lost parts of the dressing room. Um, the book didn't help. The book that he released with Guillaume, Gall- Guillaume Balagay, I don't think it went down too well. Oh, as soon as you write a book, it like it all begins to unravel. Um, mm-hmm. And the style that he wanted with the high pressing and stuff, he needed to re-energise the squad with younger players. And he spoke in the summer before he was sacked about he a painful couple of years coming up and the fact that he needed to re-energise and regroup and build a new team, basically. And it fell apart badly. And he obviously was never given the chance to see it through. You only have to look at what he's done with PSG at Barcelona this week to, to know that there's a manager <laughs> in there, right? So, right? yeah. But what he wanted to do with his philosophy is very much built. You've got to be high energy. So it's young players who buy into his philosophy. And I think there were a few there. And this happens a lot with modern players everywhere now. Once you've had this, heard the same voice for four or five years, I think modern footballers get bored. They need something new and different. So the, the idea of having the Wengers and Fergusons and these dynasties, it's not really going to happen anymore. I mean, we've heard rumours recently of Klopp and, and Liverpool potentially being like... Yeah. And if, if I'd said that to you two months ago, 
you you would have thought I was drunk. I, I mean, I normally am, but <laughs> you you wouldn't have you would never have believed that a possibility. And the same would have gone for Pochettino six months before he got sacked. So football can very very quickly change these days. That press, that high press, size, it's all right when you're winning, but when when you're not getting results. Yeah, you probably do feel like do do you want to keep running for this guy? Yeah, and yeah, I mean it's it sort of happened with Klopp at Dortmund as well, didn't it? It, it sort of ended. Well, well, that went really badly. I mean, they were in the bottom three or something. Yeah, relegation. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of sort of your your relationship with Tottenham, if if we say that, how, how long have you been supporting love, Tottenham? Love and hate. <laughs> <laughs> no, mainly love. Um, I was never given a choice on who to support. That's been passed down through family generations. Uh, so I was born in 83. I've been a season ticket holder since 1990, when I was six years old, um, wow. and went to every single home game from 1990, including friendlies, up until the FA Cup fifth round against Norwich last year. And uh, nobody's allowed me to go since. So, yeah, I've, I've got over a thousand games under my belt, including away games and stuff. So uh, a lot of love, a lot of anger and hurt as well. But mm. yeah, a good near well, 30 years of going every week, basically. Yeah. Did you get to the 91? Climb? I was there, yeah. Semi. In fact, that was the first year I was seen to get older. Cried my I eyes out. I didn't ask about the semi. I only asked well, about the final. I thought I'd mention the semi-final because we'll get. In, I'm sure the semi-final is going to get another mention yet. But yeah, cried at half-time of the final. Uh, Gascoigne had broke his leg. Stuart Pearce got a brilliant free kick. Lineker missed the penalty. He had a goal that was onside, cancelled for offside. It's like worst. There was no way we're beating Arsenal in the semi-final and then losing this final. But then they they won it without Gascoigne. We haven't won it since though. Um, which kind of sums up being the Tottenham. Even that as a roller coaster. So. Yeah, I mean, the semi and the final that year would still be two of my my favourite memories as a Tottenham fan. The 2008 League Cup final for Jordan was a, was a very good memory when Chelsea nearly won everything and won nothing. Don't worry, you've won plenty of other things <laughs> yeah. since since the formation of your football club in 2000. Oh, here we uh, go. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only messing. Um, but I, to be honest, the best memory is, is Amsterdam. I, I, I'm not convinced that anything could top that night. Lucas, um, yeah. I was blessed to be there. I had a ticket. It was in the ground. Uh, I'm not sure anything could could top that night in terms of emotion. It's part of the reason the final with Liverpool was so bad because they went through the same thing in their semi-final, their comeback against Barcelona. Both clubs yeah. already felt like they'd won a trophy just getting to the final. Um, and then obviously they had the better quality on the day in the final. But I think Amsterdam would be generally the top memory. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you didn't really turn up in that final, did you? Nah, but neither did Liverpool particularly. Liverpool didn't play well. They deserved to win, but they didn't play well either. Um, I have to say, because obviously I was in Madrid as well, it was unbearably hot. It was ridiculous. Yeah. It was well above 30 degrees, even at kickoff time. At, I think it was nine o'clock local time. So it was hard for the players. And what didn't help with that final, which hopefully will be a bit different this year, because only a one-week break between the Premier League and the Champions League final. I think we had three-week break from mm. the end of the Premier League season to the Champions League final. Yeah. So you're playing twice every week and then you don't play for three weeks and you expect teams to play with the same intensity. And I think off the back of that final, they've began to review that and gone, mm, this isn't so clever. I mean, this year we got the, the FA Cup finals the same weekend as match week 37. I know it's not what the purists want, but in terms of getting a quality Champions League final, which is now the most high-profile game in football, 
having it near the end of the season rather than after a two, three week hiatus is is definitely better for the quality of the final. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not bothered about the FA Cup personally. So, well, well, this year anyway, it will probably be not neither a stretch now, to say I'm not bothered about it in in total. But yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Who have you got? Have you got the lowest ranked team or something? Sheffield United, I don't know. Yeah, Sheffield yeah. United. That should be. Don't want to jinx it, but that should be a, a win. Yeah. So if we um if we crack on then, James, to your your eleven. I mean, what what formation? Have you gone with? I'm really pleased to be doing this because it's such a frequently asked question that I get in some of the streams I do on on our content. And I can just point people to this podcast now. So I'm really pleased. I'm going to go 4 2 3 1. There's going to be some big names left out of this. And I think as soon as I say the, the one up front, some of the forwards I'm going to be leaving out of this is ridiculous. But I want a balanced team that I think could go and win a Premier League title. So that's what I'm going to go with. Um, Fair enough. I'll, I'll start with the goalkeeper, which is it's the easiest choice. It has to be Hugo. So, I mean, I'm going back to 1990, as I said, so the last 30 years, basically. And Spurs have not been blessed with good goalkeepers over that time. Run through. Eric Torsfit was decent. Ian Walker had moments, but was erratic. Um, then you, you go forwards. So, like, Paul Robinson was brilliant for the first season, then fell apart, was terrible. Gomez was terrible the first season, but was great the second season when we finished fourth and finished above Man City. Brad Friedel was good for a year. But I think to have had Hugo consistently now for, it's easy to forget, this summer he'd been coming up to nine years with Tottenham. And for the large part of it, he's been extremely consistent. I know he's in a bad Mm. moment at the moment, but he's not a Mickey Mouse goalkeeper. He's captain of the last team that won the World Cup. And it's also miraculous in Hugo's case, people forget this, that he hung around at Tottenham because the first three years of his career at Tottenham was, was abysmal, not for him, but for the team. And he hung around because he could see what Pochettino was trying to do with, with the project. Now it's coming to the stage where I think Tottenham fans know now, okay, yeah, we, we need to begin to look for a replacement goalkeeper. But he's been a brilliant goalkeeper for Tottenham. Uh, w- when he leaves, people will realise that he was really good. How old is he now then? I think Hugo's probably, I think he might have just turned 34, maybe. I mean, for a goalkeeper, okay. if if you're like a Buffon or something, you'll be, you, you just play forever, don't you? Yeah. But um, Hugo's style was very much, certainly in the Pochettino years, you think of him as that sweeper keeper. So he's having to revolve because he, he, he doesn't spring and doesn't get around in quite the same way that he used to. So that's different to, if you take, obviously you had David Seaman, Jack, for it was brilliant for you for years, but the goalkeeping as a role was very different in Seaman's age to what it is now. Mm, so definitely. Seaman would have played the game at 29 the same way as he, as he did later at 39, for example. That's changed now. So cases like Buffon are going to be far more rare with goalkeepers, I think, into the future. So Tottenham do need a new goalkeeper, but I mean, if Hugo's still our goalkeeper next year, it's not a problem. He's still one of the best in the league for me. He's just had a very bad week with, with the game at Man City and the game at Everton. He's unlike him because his consistency normally is good. The one criticism he always gets is that his kicking's not the best. But it, it's, all, all you ever see from people online is, is the criticism. And that goes for 90% of comments about players. It's always criticism rather than positivity. Yeah. Unless it's a fanboy account and it's Messi or Ronaldo or something. But the amount of times he's saved us over the years the in Pochettino's f- f- uh, first season um I think he conceded 55 goals I think in the league 
and he still should have been our player of the year. Uh, and he didn't he didn't win it, but he should have been because he could have conceded eighty or ninety goals that season. He's been brilliant for us, Hugo, and he, he'll leave as a legend when he eventually does go. Yeah, I mean he is, and to, to be the captain of France as well, that that obviously speaks volumes to to sort of the sort of leader that that he can be as well, not not just a a good shot stopper, but yeah, a lot more to it. We go right. Say, go on, John. I will, sorry, sorry, mate. I will say I can't believe you left that Carlo good tuning. <laughs> Those anyway. five games are memorable. <laughs> anyway, yeah. We 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 bought Kudacini because Gomez was so bad, and then to be honest, Kudacini came in and Gomez got a lot better. It might have been that Kudacini. It might have been that Kudacini's best role for Tottenham was improving Gomez. <laughs> he didn't do anything on the pitch. He, to be honest, he played a few games for us. I really played in the um, the cup semi final, which you won five one. Jordan would have been was that two thousand and twelve? I think wasn't it at yeah. Wembley? You see Kudacini in in net. And, oh, Really, he's playing a second string goalkeeper in this game. He's not, is he? Well, he's just he's done that because it's Chelsea, probably. Agent Kudacini. We know what to do. Agent Kudacini, yeah. Is is that what Mourinho's doing at the moment? Still being an agent for Chelsea, is he? We've got him everywhere. We've got him everywhere. Look at every team in the Premier League. There's a Chelsea agent somewhere. (laughs) William. Even up to Sheffield United, Ampadu, you know, it's all over. (laughs) Jack, have you done your William special podcast yet, or are you not going to bother? Too depressed to do that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! I mean, I did, I did, uh, I did touch on it. I did like a, a pre-season kind of review of Arsenal, and I wasn't, I wasn't happy at the time. Um, Don't worry, he's, yeah. he's only he's only got two and a half years left on that contract, mate. Yeah, I know. I know the rough amount of days. Just ticking them off. <laughs> that she counted the days. Like. Was he got <laughs> nine hundred days left? <laughs> Where do you want me to go, guys? Should I go right back? Yeah. Um, not the easiest choice, the choice between two players. Um, Carl Walker is the one I'll go for. But massive shout. I was a big fan of Stephen Carr. He was absolutely brilliant for us in, in the late 90s and early noughties. Um, went to Newcastle because he had such a hump. Tottenham stitched him up with a new contract, basically offered him really bad terms. And he didn't want to leave, but he left. And I didn't find this out till much later. Um, had to retire because of injuries at, at Newcastle. And uh, you might remember he obviously played against you, Jack, for Birmingham in the League Cup final a couple of years after his <laughs> retirement. Um, Stephen Carr was absolutely brilliant for us in the late 90s, early noughties. Scored a couple of screaming goals. I remember one against United in 99 is one of my favourite ever Tottenham goals. But I think Cole Walker, despite his brain fart moments, was largely very, very good for us over, again, a, a solid five-year period of being first choice right back. So Cole would get the nod. I think he's he's definitely in with a shout by the time of retiring as being the, the best right back in the Premier League. I mean, it, there's not there's not really a lot of quality there, to be fair, compared to some of the other positions. And I'm I talking think about in, the, in the history of the Premier League. In the history of the Premier League, yeah. Uh, I mean, Gary Neville's the first name that, that springs to mind from that perspective in terms of consistency. Yeah, I know, but I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how... I think he's got a little bit of a way to go still, but um, he's he's definitely up there for me. And what he did he get Young Player of the Year for you as well? Yeah, I think um, 
2011 maybe um i think bell won the pfa and carl walker won the young it's very unusual for a fullback to win young player it must have been 2012 actually i think um rapid like so rapid mm. and it's one of the reasons he's always lazy in what he does is because he's so rapid that he'll get himself out of trouble um and was certainly a brilliant weapon in in the high line for pochettino because he'd normally have toby out rear-old inside him um and toby was a lot quicker then than than what he is now but cole's pace would would cover up for so many problems so often it's just so rapid i don't i'm, I'm not sure if he ever realized that he was as good as what he was and he still is. I mean, now he's, he's kind of out the Man City team, really. I know he's played mm. against Everton. But, I mean, Cancelo in terms of quality is so good now. Walker was very good for Spurs. It was a shame the way it ended. Apparently, he, if you read Pochettino's book, Walker asked Pochettino to leave, uh, said that he wanted to leave in the summer while Tottenham was still trying to challenge Chelsea in the 16-17 season. And that's why Walker was in and out of the team so much towards the end of that season. And on principle, that Pochettino was like, well, yeah, you've got to go. Shame, shame the way it ended. Yeah, because wasn't it similar with Danny Rose as well? He, he was trying to leave at any cost. We talk about Danny Rose in a bit, I think. <laughs> Is he uh, on your other well, side? Well, to or? be honest, yeah, let, let's go there then. Yeah, Danny Rose would be my left back, actually, which people might be a bit shocked by that. But I say we haven't had great goalkeepers in the last 30 years. I can promise you we've had many bad left backs. I was um, thinking you might go back three just because I couldn't I couldn't really think of many. Well, uh, to be honest, the, the two choices here to go in, a, the reason for going in a back four rather than a back three is, is, is the balance of, of the team. When I tell you the two wide players, I think you'll understand why I'm probably not going to go with, with wing backs. But it was basically, it was either Danny Rose or play Jan Vertonghen out of position. Because um, Jan was great whenever he played left back. But if you said before Danny Rose, if you said it was the best left back Tottenham had had in the first 20 years or so had gone, I don't know where I'd start. Christian Zieger had a good three, four months and then fell off a cliff. Uh, Maurizio Tarico was, he was a hatchet man, but he was quite likeable. I'm going back to people like Justin Edinburgh and stuff. I mean, we had some bad left back. I mean, Ricky, who was fondly known to Tottenham fans because he looked like um, Ricky from EastEnders. Um, he was average. I mean, he wore the shirt. Bless him, poor fellow, obviously. I actually saw him in Madrid at the Champions League final, days before he died. Um, he was obviously late in Orient Manchester, suddenly passed away. Um, he was an average footballer. He wore his heart on his sleeve and that. So to be honest, it was limited choice. And Danny Rose, to reflect on that period, with him and Walker together, and you could switch them into a back three, no problem if you wanted to change the system. In, in the 16-17 season, when Chelsea won the league, Rose got injured in January uh, away to Sunderland. And at that point, if he'd have continued playing the rest of the season, he would have pissed Tottenham's player here. He was honestly that good that season. And that's that's the best season I've ever seen from Tottenham. And he was the standout for the first four months. He was a player you could passionately get behind, wore his heart on his sleeve, and he improved massively. He signed a new contract. He was the first player to sign a new contract under Pochettino. And it was loads of uproar on social media about why Tottenham had given him a new contract. Um, when Tottenham had signed Ben Davis that summer as well. I mean, Ben Davis barely got a look in for two years because Danny Rose was just too good and he fought him off. The pressure from Davis was good for him. Maybe like Cudicini was good for Gomez, Jordan. <laughs> um, great athlete, not the best technically, but became a leader eventually in the end 
for Tottenham. So I felt in terms of that being his position, it was better to put Danny Rose there rather than Jan Vertonghen. Ideally, yes, I would have picked all three centre-halves because I think you know who the other two are. <laughs> How do you think Mourinho's, Mourinho's treatment of him has been? Um, bad. Uh, I mean, now it's difficult because we're releasing this obviously in 2021. I'm obviously not referring to the Danny Rose of today. I'm referring to the Danny Rose of, of three, four years ago when, when yeah. I pick him for this team. Um, Danny, to be honest, since he kind of opened up and was brave enough to say, look, at times I've been depressed. And it, to be honest, it's from that injury at Sunderland where the, is where the depression started where he started worrying about like his work. He, he lost his place in the, in the world cup squad, didn't he? I think yeah. he got fit in time for 2018, 18 months later, but wasn't quite right. Ashley Young played at left wing back. There were a lot of things that affected him mentally. And it kind of, at the time, it wouldn't so much now, but at the time it got very much frowned upon. It's like, Oh, you're not meant to come out and tell people that there's things wrong with you. Oh, you're on this amount of money. It's easy yeah. to forget that they're human beings. Right. And Danny's always been outspoken from that perspective. He's never been on social media. I know that um, he donated a monstrous amount of money to North Middlesex Hospital, which is a hospital that's right around the corner from, from Wyatt Lane. We're talking hundreds of thousands he donated out of his own money. And that was meant to be private. He wasn't even happy that he got it leaked. He's quite a private individual. Um, I worry about him from that perspective. I can't believe that he's not gone to play for somebody. He's still a Tottenham player. He's not gone mm. to play for anybody. Was he? Is he good enough to be playing for Tottenham now? No, of course not. Because um, he's declined very, very badly. But Mourinho picked him in a game. If you go back and watch the Amazon documentary, you can see it's yeah. all in there. And the Amazon documentary was edited to make certain players look good and certain players look bad. And it was edited to make Danny Rose look bad. He played Danny Rose against Liverpool, having not been fit for over a month, threw him straight in the team. And then he didn't play well. Danny Rose admitted that by his own account, but was basically like, I wasn't ready, but you picked me. I wasn't going to say I'm not ready. And then he never got another chance and no explanation as to why. So it was like he was set up to fail. Yeah. To prove a point. Yeah. Um, and that's that's not great. No. That's not great. And, and then obviously Tanganga was getting picked ahead of him. Um, and Tanganga, I know, played it right back at Man City. But I've watched him a lot as a kid. He's a centre-back, really. He'll probably end up being a full-back because he's not quite tall enough. But he's always been a centre-back by trade. And then suddenly Danny Rose is getting left out for him. Tanganga's done a riot, and that was part of the problem. Then Tanganga played, and he looks better than Rose. And it's, that was the point proven against Danny Rose then. Mm. I hope mentally he's in a good place because he did a lot for Tottenham. And I, I, it, it winds me up when I hear Tottenham fans forget what he did for Tottenham. Because he improved from a, a basic average footballer to a point where you'd go, he's the best left back in the country. And at that point in 2017, in my opinion, it wouldn't have even been close. Shame what's mm. happened to him. Didn't realise he was still at Tottenham. To be exactly. honest, I, I thought he'd gone to somewhere like in Turkey or, or just somewhere off I think the radar. He, I like think he, he, he's played two games for the under 23s, I think, in the last six months. I couldn't say if he's fit, he's not fit. Um, and obviously your club, Jack, obviously had a mutual agreement with Ozil. I presume something similar was going to happen with Danny Rose. There was talks about him going somewhere abroad on deadline day, but it didn't happen. Um, but for the greater good of him, because I don't think he needs it financially, Tottenham should Tottenham should be looking out for his welfare, and I hope that they are. Yeah, and if he, I mean, if he doesn't 
if he doesn't like the spotlight anyway, he'll do well to get to get out of there and just sort of go go under the radar. So yeah, abroad would probably be a good option. Agreed. Right sided centre back um, has to be Toby Alderweireld. Uh, absolutely stunning when he came into the football club. Um, improved Vitongan, which importantly is really close to say, oh, who's been better, Alderweireld or Vitongan? Vitongan's obviously been there longer, and probably Vitongan will go down as the, the the bigger legend to Tottenham fans, I think. Um, but Ledley King has to be the left sided centre half. Ledley King was better at left sided. No right Sol Campbell. Who? No Sol Campbell. <laughs> the, the the only player that's played for Tottenham and won a Premier League at White Hart Lane. Jack, if you want to be technical about it, he was also better as a left-sided centre-half. And he was not fit to lace Ledley King's boots, mate. I don't care. Le- Ledley King would have done unbelievable things for you, mate. Certainly wouldn't have been letting Bobby Zamora bowl him over and stuff like that, mate. He probably wouldn't have been on the pitch, though, would he? Ledley? Ledley could have played for anyone. Honestly. No, in terms of it, he'd be he'd be in the medical room, most likely. Yeah, but you, you'd put him in the ice bath on a Saturday morning and get out and play for you, mate. And uh, Ledley's the best centre-half I've seen play. Like, to be honest... The, I think, the only, uh, yeah, a lot of people... The, the, the only comparable, I'd say, honestly, is, is Jordan's boy in terms of in the Premier League. I think it's better That's ones weird. I've seen in Serie A and the Champions League and stuff. But in Premier League, I mean, John Terry is probably will go down as the best centre-half at the moment. When he, Tony Adams is much better than than the, the other player that you mentioned, who I don't want to say his name. You know that. Tony Adams was a god of a centre-half. Um, Vidic and the like at United, brilliant centre-halves. Deadly is got to be very close to the best defender who's ever played for Tottenham. So it's not a case of him versus him or Ledley obviously stepped up because of what happened with the fella who went to Arsenal and stood in his place. And at that time was nowhere near the player, obviously, but developed into a phenomenal technical defender. You've probably seen the comments, Jack, about who does Thierry Henry say is the hardest defender he ever played against? Ledley King. Right, there you go. Ledley was a ball-playing defender, never went to ground. You never see him make slide tackles. Never got out of position. He basically didn't make mistakes. Tottenham conceded goals because of other people around him, not because of him. It was a, it was a god of a footballer. It was a Rolls Royce of a player. And you have to remember, I, I was at his first ever start for Tottenham at Derby in 1999. George Graham was manager. Um, and I guess the other fella would have played at centre-back, actually. Ledley played in midfield. And two minutes into that game, um, he went in for a tackle with Rory Delap. And that was the injury that did his knee for the rest of his career. Really? Yeah. Just on his debut? Yep. Sorry. Never, never, never played a game of football again without pain. That's honestly true. The two minutes into his full Premier League debut, he didn't after really that, train, did he, after that game, he never played, he didn't play for Tottenham again uh, in the league till uh, a game with Liverpool, which was basically a year later. Um, and he played in a back three. But yeah, so first game, debut. He's still man of the match that day, by the way. That was officially given to him, was man of the match. Never, so he finished that game, didn't play again for a year and forever played with pain. Um, you, you've probably heard the famous stories about when Capello called him out for the 2010 World Cup and Capello just could not understand that this guy couldn't train. He was like, I don't understand how you play then. 
It's like, this is just what I do. This is the only way that I can play. I mean, if he'd have, if he'd have been a midfielder rather than the centre back, he never would have, he never could have lasted. And it was mm. sad by the end to watch him get bullied by Grant Holt in 2012. And even then, at that point, I'm I'm like, please retire, Ledley, because I don't want to watch you disintegrate like this. God of a footballer, my favourite ever player by a long way. Not necessarily the best, but definitely my favourite ever player. And there is an influence in that in terms of the player who went to Arsenal and the fact that he had to stand into his shoes and he did very, very well. I mean, the 2008 final against yourself, Jordan, at Wembley, I don't think he played for about six weeks before that and managed to get through the 120 minutes. And then that was it. I don't think he played again for about another six weeks after that. And that's how it was for him. You just got him on the big... By by the time it got to 2007-2008, we just used to save him for the big games because he couldn't play twice a week. Yeah, when would you say his peak was? Um, probably carrying the 2010 seat towards the end of 09-10, the first year we we qualified for the Champions League, was kind of the last kind of hurrah for him. Um, and then to be honest, even that last season, 11-12, he started that season absolutely brilliant. But to, by the time it got to March, April, he managed to play quite a lot that season, the final season. But I think then he had one injury and it was a different injury. And then mentally you're in different places. I think he might have had a hamstring injury to go with the knee and stuff. And he just, he didn't recover from that. And that was it, end of season, retire. Probably between 08 and and 10 was probably his peak. But I mean, if you look at his statistics of appearances, it's sickening, mate. He played for us for 13 years and I think he played like 250 league games. And you averaged that out as about 18 games a season or something. Yeah. brilliant player um, and he'd be captain of this team as well no doubt so to- Toby would be his partner because he's the best right-sided centre-half that I've seen at Tottenham um, the other three players that we've mentioned Fatungan King and the guy who went to Arsenal uh, I'm not saying his name mate um, they, were all, they were all best as left-sided centre-halves so Toby would get the nod ideally you would go Vertong- I would go Vertonghen and Ledley but that's that's not the right answer Toby Alderweireld is the best right-sided centre-half I've seen play for Tottenham. Uh, notable mention for Michael Dawson, who's a name that's easily forgettable, I think, for a lot of people. But again, great servant for Tottenham for sort of 10-plus years. Gave everything, every game. And he was probably Ledley King's best partner, I would say. That's the back four. Are we winning the league yet? Uh, I, I don't know if you've listened to Bradley's... Uh... Um, session. I, I don't know after the players Bradley said. But, but... <laughs> Yeah, that, that might rival that. I don't know, but um, yeah. So the two, two sort of sitting. Well, I wouldn't call them pivot. sitting because okay. they can be. I haven't picked an out and out holder, but I think actually modern football these these two could play as a central midfield pair. And my view on the three midfielders because I'd have one in front as well is good luck trying to get the ball off these three. So we'll go Musa Dembele first, who is probably the most underrated footballer. That I've ever seen. For me, he's he was your best player for me for like a good three or four years because I, I used to go to all the the North London derbies and he, yeah, he was always the standout one for you. That Jack, you, you're going to get no disagreement on that from me. Dembele is a strange case because he was bought in 2012 and looked a beast of a player. I think we went for a spell for about six months with him in the team and we didn't lose. 
Um, then we lost a couple in a row to Fulham Liverpool. It was after we beat you 2-1, Bale and Lennon scored. And then you had a great run at the end and, and finished above us. Obviously, you're obviously, Chelsea won the Champions League as well. And then for a couple of years after, they really suffered injuries. And on the, the first day of the 14-15 season, Pochettino played... Uh, sorry, 15-16 season. Uh, first day of Pochettino's second season. He hadn't used Dembele much in the second half of the first season, and it was mainly down to injuries, fitness problems. He wanted to find a place for Dembele in the team. He couldn't work it out. He played him a little bit in the 10 position against you the first time Kane scored twice in the North London derby. Dembele played as a 10 and he was great. But then injuries, and he couldn't really find a, a place for him in the team. And then he'd obviously bought Deli Ali, and the plan was was to get Ali into the team in that position. We played at Old Trafford first day of the season, and he played right inside the midfield. We lost 1-0. He played the next few games right inside the midfield. And then we found ourselves in an, in an issue in central midfield, and he got in there with Eric Dyer, and they formed a great partnership, and he never looked back. Um, we lost six games that season, Leicester won the league. The United game, the first game, we played right inside the midfield. Do you know how many minutes Dembele played in the other five games? No, why would you know? I'm going to tell you. He played, he played <laughs> didn't you do your research? In the other five games uh, that we lost that, that season in the league, he played less than half hour. That was Dembele's importance. We didn't lose a game in over 18 months where he played central midfield. Phenomenal. What a player. Um, the only thing he couldn't do was finish. He used, to, he used to get in front of goal and he'd just be a rag. He'd just throw his, he'd just try and hit the thing with as much power as he had, um, which worked brilliantly for one goal he scored with his bad foot against Anderlet in Europa League, but he was normally very wild in his finishing. But absolutely phenomenal player. When he was at it, I mean, his, his performance in Turin in the last 16 in the Champions League uh, was, was basically his last good game for Tottenham. It's as good a performance I think I've ever seen from any central midfielder on stage like that. Juventus you've, you've just couldn't get near him. Dominated the game in Turin. Brilliant, brilliant player. Loved him. Um, you ask any Tottenham player, they go, who's the best player at Tottenham? You've probably seen the Soccer AM clips and all those things. They all say Dembele. It's all they ever said. We were a different team with him. I knew we'd go to games, we could have a big game. If he was playing, I knew we'd win. And if he, we could be playing someone's shit, if he wasn't, I knew we could get beat. That's how important he was to us. And it's no coincidence that when he left, everything at Tottenham unravelled. I, I think he was a bigger miss to Tottenham trying to replace him than actually Pochettino leaving, honestly. Massive. All went apart once, once Dembele fitness-wise was gone. And obviously on Dembele... Is the technical replacement for him. And he's starting to show signs that he might be able to become that player. But to be honest, if he ends up half as good as Dembele, he'll be a very good player. Um, midfield partner, the little magician, Luka Modric, uh, another wonderful player um, who ended up playing central midfield for us by accident because Wilson Palacios got sent off in the FA. Uh, he, got set, uh, he got a 10th booking, I think in the FA Cup semi-final that we lost to Portsmouth. I mean, how did we lose an FA Cup semi-final to a team in administration? Mind you, Jordan, you knew he lost to him in the final as well, didn't you? Um, <laughs> but by by that by that accident, Modric then played against Arsenal and Chelsea in the next week. And we won both games 2-1. Modric played central midfield and he never played anywhere else again after that. And then, I mean, two years later, he went to Real Madrid. He's, he's gone and done everything for them. You could make a case that he, he's arguably been he'd be close to the best midfielder on the planet the last 10 years, wouldn't he? He'd have, he'd have to be in the conversation. He's got, he's got to be up there, isn't he? 
He'd have to be yeah. in the conversation for that, what he's achieved at Real Madrid and still going. Brilliant player. I, I don't know how old he is now. He must be pushing towards mid-30s. Brilliant I think player. he's about 35 because we did um, we did a podcast last year on the, the best players over the age of 35 and he just he just missed out on it because of because of his age then but yeah we, we've got a guest that comes on quite regularly he absolutely loves Modric to the point I'm sure he, he tries to look like him and, and style, style his hair like him oh, and stuff he like does. that I mean incredible player I mean Dembele came to replace Modric I mean imagine if they'd have played together what a midfield that could have been to be honest at that time they probably would have needed a protector behind them rather than this team having one in front but I think the way they developed in later years you could play them too as a pair, you, you wouldn't get the ball off him anyway. Modric is really unique in that sense that he, he, possibly a little bit like Iniesta, he just glide past people. And also Modric doesn't have real power. He doesn't have power. He can play a pass 50, 60 yards, but he's not, he hasn't got the power to do it to say like uh, a Steven Gerrard would thump the thing or even like a Frank mm-hmm. Lampard, for example. It was more like a, a Fabregas type player, if you will, Jack. Um, just gorgeous on the ball. Wonderful player, Modric. He's always that... on the, the right foot, wasn't it, as well? From this, Yeah, but he, outside. he could go on his left. He, he does love that, that outside of the right foot pass. Um, but when we started getting really good in sort of 11-12, it was all being conducted by him. He was fortunate in that last season that he had a player in Scott Parker who would do all the dirty for him. So he didn't have to worry about that too much. And that allowed him to play in the central midfield too as well. But brilliant player. I would expect Dembele to do more of the dirty work out of the two here. Because Dembele's ball recovery defensively is brilliant. Another really underrated trait that he had. Um, in front of them, we have to go back a few years for this one. Uh, Paul Gascoigne has to be in this team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking he might be your favourite player. I know you said it's it's Ledley King. Gaza, I mean, basically gets in here for me based off one season, the 1991 season, and he missed a lot of that season through injury. Um, his performances to get Spurs to that cup final was heroic. I think he assisted in the third round. He scored twice and had an assist in the fourth round. He scored both goals in the fifth round. He scored the winner in the sixth round. He scored the goal from 35 yards to free kick against you in the semi-final when he'd had a hernia operation only two weeks earlier and he shouldn't he should not have been playing that's the only reason he played an hour and that's part why he took that free kick like that because he, he knew that any minute he could break down and go off the pitch he's like I'm just going to slam this as hard as I can Lineker's Lineker's favourite quote was if you ever see the goal back Lineker goes and speaks to him Lineker tells this story and he said I, I went up to him he was obviously a bit of a nutter and um, like he's so adrenaline fueled. He never slept before the semi-final. Quite often they had to give him injections to get him sleep and stuff because he was so hyper. Uh, it probably did him a favour that that semi-final was like a 12 o'clock kickoff because if it had been 6 o'clock, he probably would have been in the pub at lunchtime. <laughs> um, but Lineker goes up to him and says, like, don't try and bend it. It's too far. Lineker always tells the story. He says, I didn't know he could bend it and hit it hard. And that's what he did. Um, I know there's Arsenal fans who still to this day think David Seaman should have saved it, but I, I don't think he was expecting that to be coming his way. It's an incredible goal. He carried us to the final. He part saved the club as well because the transfer fee um, that Tottenham got for him from Lazio was, was a record at the time and Tottenham were in massive financial trouble at that period. And the FA Cup final in terms of qualification for Europe, which he was largely responsible to, 
largely responsible for, then helped Spurs in a stronger position for the talks to the Premier League and then Tottenham were out to get out of their financial crisis. But um, Gascoigne was a world of a player. At that point in 91, he must have been close to best player in the world off the back of Italia 90. And he should have gone on to become the best player in the world. And the reason he didn't was because of A, injuries. And those injuries caused to a lot of B, off the field stuff, which is obviously regrettable. Yeah, I, I think we, we've sort of talked about him in length in, in other podcasts as well. And it's it, he is just the guy that you think of when you think of a talented player that didn't make the most of his career yeah and it it might sound unfair to say that because obviously he did he did still achieve a lot but yeah what what his ceiling was was just ridiculous I mean in Italia 90 he had a tournament that 99% of the population could only dream about right I mean he was basically probably Barlow for Mateus probably was the best player at Italia 90 and he had the, the world completely at his feet um and unfortunately, certain things happened. But, you know, we still were even like Euro 96 when everybody was giving him the stick. Oh, he's unfair, he's fat. And then you look at his performance against Holland, nearly won that semi-final against Germany. It was so written. It was kind of, it's kind of poetic Gascoigne and Tottenham. It's almost like the nearly men's story, the semi-finals. Oh, we nearly won this. We nearly won mm-hmm. that. And I think even it's yourselves, obviously support two teams who would consider Tottenham probably your biggest rivals. You must have a, a little bit inside you go, yeah, I like Gazza though. There's got to be a little bit of that. I love a player yeah. with a bit of, yeah, with a bit of psych about him. Gazza's one and, of those guys. Yeah, and we're also both um, on the, the green side of Glasgow as well. But, I mean, you can't you can't hate Gazza, really. I mean, he's, he's just that sort of character. Isn't I can definitely understand why Selwick fans don't like him, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've got that one. I don't think we need to do that story now. But um, he, he, to be honest, he told a great story. I think even um, that, he played the, the flute, wasn't it? Which is uh, just like the, the complete no-no, isn't it? But someone told him to do it as a wind-up. And Gazza being Gazza didn't ask, ask like any questions of what the repercussions would that would be. So he gives all that to the Celtic fans. And next thing you know, he's getting threats from the IRA and whatnot. So, and yeah, I mean, that's his... You, you could lose yourself in hours of footage of Gaza on and off the pitch on YouTube. You could lose half a day just looking at videos of Gascoigne. What a character. What a what a brilliant, brilliant player. I think the game's missing that, those type of characters. I think it's gone from the game. Of course it is. And that's what... I don't know. I'm not, not that I don't enjoy football as much nowadays, but I just think that needs to come back to football. I think we need those characters in the game. Of course it does. But a part, a lot of that is it's social media and media driven as well in terms of some of the interviews Gascoigne used to used to do and stuff. I mean, you just could, you couldn't get away with them now. Some of the, the things that he did off the pitch. I mean, I know the paparazzi used to follow him around all the time then, but now it wouldn't just be the paparazzi, would it be everybody on the street with their mobile phone, there's Gaza, whatever, whatever. Now the players know that if they haven't got something right to say, don't bother it. And that's why, unfortunately, look, for all we know, Harry Kane off the pitch might be like Ian Wright. I, I don't suppose he is, right? Ian Wright is a great character. He's a perfect example. But maybe he is. Maybe he is the Joker in the dressing room. We never know because he gives every answer the same for every interview and stuff. And a lot of that comes from, they all get media training now. And a lot. It's like that with the incident where Gascoigne did the, stu- the stupid celebration to the Celtic fans because he was ill-informed. No player's going to be that ill-informed now, are they? No, it can't be. 
Yeah, yeah. they were like robots, aren't they, nowadays? Just... Unfortunately. Go on then, What's, who's, who's next in your team then? Let's go right wing. Uh, and to be honest, right wing's wrong. Let's say right forward. Uh, Gareth Bell. Uh, performance in 12-13 season is uh, phenomenal. The best individual performance I've seen in the season from a Spurs player. I mean, literally, I said Gascoigne carried Tottenham to an FA Cup final, but he did at least have Gary Lineker in front of him. Gareth Bell single-handedly carried that team nearly back into the Champions League that season with a negative manager in Andre Villas-Boas. It's probably worse than Mourinho, by the way, from that perspective. (laughs) But nobody ever noticed because he had this flying Welshman who was basically creating his own goal-of-the-month compilation every month. I mean, a a highlight reel of his goals from 12-13. You could have put a goal, you could put a goal of season contender from that season and had 10 Gareth Bale goals in it. It's unbelievable phenomenal best player I've seen play for Spurs which is kind of tough to talk about when you you see what it is now but it's Mm. the same in terms of referring to Alderweireld and Danny Rose I'm not picking them players in terms of what they are now I'm picking them based on what I'd seen in the past Um, Gareth Balfe right now would not get anywhere near this team Gareth Balfe from 12-13 is is the first player on the team sheet for this a phenomenal player obviously became world record transfer when he went to Real Madrid um, and went and achieved everything there, despite whatever they think of him in Madrid. Uh, and I know it's kind of split whether they love him or hate him. But did he win four Champions League finals? Scored arguably the best ever goal in the Champions League final against Liverpool. Phenomenal. Took his country, a small country with respect to Wales, to European Championship semi-final. He was the leader of that. So he's done it at uh, international level as well. When I, that was Wales' first tournament since, what, 58, I think. Um phenomenal player who he went from when he joined Tottenham he was 17 year old fresh face first thing he ever did was scoring a North London derby against Arsenal basically um and then spent the scoring that game yes we lost 3-1 mate um <laughs> you don't need to ask me if I remember Tottenham scores you know there's like an encyclopedia <laughs> in the back of here um but then he missed large chunks of injuries. Then, of course, he had this curse, these 23 yeah, games. Which you, 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 you can't believe that now in hindsight. And then he got a break, a little bit like kind of Modric moving into central midfield. Sometimes these things just fall for you, where Ben Asuakoto was meant to go to the African nations and then got injured anyway. And then Bell got, he got a run of games at left back and he did a right. And people were surprised that he did a right because that January... There was talks about him going on loan to Nottingham Forest or Birmingham. And three months later, he was it was, it was turning um, Paolo Ferreira inside out. Why are they? Like the, the, the dramatic change just came suddenly where the confidence flowed. And it felt like every week with him, he got bigger and stronger. That's how it looked. It's like almost overnight, he was you could see him changing from boy to, to man with his physicality mm-hmm. and his power. I was blessed to be in the San Siro when he scored the hat-trick. Um, I mean, you talk about carrying teams. I mean, that's a perfect case of it. It's, it's the greatest defeat any team's ever had. Is that nil- the best performance you've ever seen from an individual? No, he was better in the return game. <laughs> Honestly. Oh, but yeah. In the 3-1, when we beat, he didn't score, but he assisted two of the goals. He was he was better in the return game at Wild Lane. Because the, the beauty of the second game that night, and that's probably... Probably the best atmosphere I've experienced at White Hart Lane. They knew what was coming after, obviously, what he'd done to them in the San Siro, and they still couldn't stop it. 
against like Michael. We weren't talking about a Mickey Mouse right back. He was getting in FIFA World Teams of the Year and all that. And I know being Brazilian, you tend to get a bit of favoritism and stuff, and because he's a flashy goal scoring fullback. But he ripped him apart. Mykon's career, literally. What did he do afterwards, Mykon? Did he do it? No, no, he really wasn't. Um, and Bale could do that to you. It was phenomenal. That he had, I mean, the, the performance in the home game, your away game gets remembered more because of the famous hat trick. But in the home game, is probably close to the best individual performance I've seen from a Tottenham player. You'd have to be up there. It's the most, it's the most iconic one of my favourite ones. One of my favourite ones is just to shout out names, Berbatov in the game against Bolton that he didn't even score in. Um, but that's a random one that other people won't remember. But Bale against Inter Milan, oh, phenomenal. Um, but his performances, obviously, all that was on the left-hand side of the pitch. When he moved to the right-hand side of the pitch, that's when all the attacking returns came again. When he could mm-hmm. then come inside and unleash away on his left foot, and he could still burn people on the outside as well. That's when he became a, a, an absolute phenomenon. And no Tottenham fan wanted him to move to the right. He used to sing in the ground, Gareth Bale, he plays on the left. Uh, no one was singing it by the end of that season. It was like playing wherever he want. And actually, towards the end of that season, he basically played centre-forward. And I'd like to see him play there now, by the way. I think he could play ahead of Kane. What and do what what Son's doing with, with two runners ahead of him? No, I just think we could set up in a 4-2-3-1 with Kane as, as the 10 and Bale as the 9. And I think we could do that. And if, if you play someone on the right who's sensible, like a Lucas or Bergwijn, it can still have balance to complement, obviously, a lot of what Hyunming Son does on, on the left-hand side. Um, but I, I think that's a possible way to get him in the team at the moment. Certainly when Kale was, uh, Kane was injured recently, I would have played Bale up front rather than Vinicius. You saw a little, I don't know if you saw the effort he had at City at the weekend, Bale. No. You get a little glimpse of, there's still ability in there. There's a lot gone and I think he's suffering with confidence. He's obviously carrying injuries that he's probably not going to get over. There's still a player in there and it, I, I hope that that if he does sign in the League Cup final against Man City in April, it was worth him coming back. But Tottenham won't be signing him in the summer. No, I think Mourinho got asked, didn't he, about that? And he just said, I, there's, there's no, you, to be honest, no Tottenham fan, as much as you'd want it to work out, you could not justify going and buying him on the wages he's on and stuff. You just, mm. you couldn't justify it. Um, there's there's a lot of us who wish he hadn't come back. And it was a few of us at the time, a few of the people I know were like, I'm not sure about this, you know. Because you don't want that legacy ruined. To be honest, yeah. it's been it's been so bad he couldn't ruin the legacy because we've hardly bloody seen him. Um, left hand side, there must be something about me who likes getting one man team players in. I have to find a place in this team for uh, the brilliant David Ginola, who was phenomenal in 1999 for Tottenham. Another player, who basically single handedly. George Graham was trying to leave him out of the team every week, but he was just too good. They'd have killed Graham if he ever left him out of the team. It was phenomenal. My dad managed to get on Match of the Day on Boxing Day one year. We beat Watford 4-0 at home. It was the only time I've ever seen my dad on Match of the Day. He managed to get himself on there because he's shouting at Graham after he takes Ginola off and we're winning 4-0. Because <laughs> the rest of the team was that bad. It was like, we might, we might as well leave now. The game's finished. Because he's the entertainment. And for two years, to be honest, for three years, he single-handedly entertained us and that shouldn't be forgotten. The one slight on Ginola in comparison to say, because Hyunming Sun would begin, he'd be beginning to push for that now, I think, that position. Uh, unlike Sonny, Ginola never scored enough goals. But phenomenal creator. Best two-footed player I've seen. Still don't. I've, I've seen him take three kicks for his left foot. 
I know he was right-footed. Phenomenal player. Uh, lazy bastard, but mm. super, super ability. His first touch, he'd kill people in an instant. So I would have to find a place for Janola. But I think Hyunming Sun's edging close to... If you ask me that question in a few years, it might be that I'd say Sun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's... People are more starting to take notice, obviously, this year on Sun, but he's been at Tottenham for, what, five or six years? I think Sun's beginning to... He signed in... Uh, I want to say the Leicester season. That's how I remember years. 15, 2015. And he he found the first couple of years really difficult. In fact, after the first season, Tottenham Tottenham were looking to sell him back to Germany um, because it just wasn't really working out for him. Like He couldn't oust Lamella out of the team because Lamella had a phenomenal work rate and Tottenham were high precedent at the time. And Hyunming Sun, he, he couldn't play really in a pressing system. Now it's worth his weight having him in because of all the goals he gets, etc. Um, but I guess Sun now he's he's pushing towards world class level. He'd have to come into consideration if he were to put a world squad together or something. I think I, I'm not sure he'd get in it, but I think his name would be in passing. He would be part of a conversation now. He could go and play for Barca or Madrid or, or PSG or any of these clubs now. I think centre forward f- final place. Any guesses? I'm gonna guess Teddy Sheringham. Robbie Keane. Teddy Sheringham and Robbie Keane wouldn't even be close. Uh, Jermaine Defoe would fall into a similar line as those two. Uh, Klinsman I'd have above all three of them. Uh, the, the most difficult one to leave out is Berbatov. Is awful to leave out. I loved him. Brilliant player. It has, mm. to, be, it has to be Harry Kane now. has to be. Um, if, if Harry Kane breaks Tottenham's goal-scoring record, then that's why my son's called Harry. And if Harry Kane doesn't break the record, then my, my son is called Harry for some other reason that I'll explain to him in the future. Harry Winks? I don't think that'll be the explanation. Mate. <laughs> now, Harry Kane, uh, should, should I've said this on my own content, the best thing for Harry Kane would be to leave Tottenham. Uh, and that, that's a big thing for me to say that. The boy that's come through, the boy that done good, the boy that went out on loan to several places and he wasn't even getting mentioned as doing anything. He just looked like he was going to be this tall, lanky forward um, to suddenly become the player that he's become. I mean, it's come from nowhere. You see kids who get all the hype and then by the time they're 21, you've forgotten about them. It's like, what happened to them? They were going to be amazing at 18. How old's Federico Makeda now? I bet he's still only about 30 or something. How old is he? But where is he? Exactly. Whereas Kane was never mentioned. And then suddenly as a 21-year-old, oh, this guy's got a bit about him. He could be a good target man. And, and by 21 and a half, you're going, this, this guy's going to play for England any day now. Just a phenomenal, almost overnight change from bumbling target man who could barely control a ball to the best centre forward in the country. Um, magnificent player. He still has moments on the ball where you, you think he looks a bit unawkward in terms of what he's doing. And I think it's because he's been such a late developer. But he's all-round game now. Good in the air, good hold-up, good passer, left, right foot. Phenomenal striking technique, which is part why he gets so many ankle injuries because he rolls his ankle on his standing foot whenever he shoots. He's the best one. He's if you All them other strikers you mentioned, Kane's a bit of all of them. He's got a little bit of everything. So he'd have to, he'd have to be in there. And if he stays at Tottenham, he will break the great Jimmy Greaves goal-scoring record. 
think he'll break Shearer's record. I think if he stays with us, yes. I'm not sure if he will if he goes somewhere else. Yeah, because I, I can't see him going anywhere else other than Man United. Because they, they're crying out for a Harry Kane. Well, I think City are more, aren't they? If they're at City, yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the issue, just, the issue is, just, and I don't really want to talk about it, is on a best ever Tottenham eleven. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't think that City will put together what it will cost to buy Harry Kane, and and that's one of the reasons why I think he may end up staying, even if he wants to go himself. Is I think Tottenham might even say, look, this is the value of of you. If we receive the money from a club that you want to go to, okay, but who under these conditions is actually going to pay that money? I mean, I'll ask you guys, what would you value Harry Kane out of the market at the moment? It's difficult to say in this market because of COVID, but last year, I probably would have said 200 million. 100%, yeah. He's the best striker. I think he's one of the best strikers, if not the best in the world. So I wouldn't put him that high. <laughs> but thanks, guys. Let's say he's 150 million. I think would maybe be realistic if we say, look, Coutinho went to Barcelona for 130, 140 a couple of years ago. 150 million. A Man City or Man United actually going to pay 150 million this year. The answer is probably no, isn't it? So by default, he probably stays. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's different, yeah, because they're, they're looking at Messi at name, Man City. Well, there is part of that as well. And, and Messi's, yeah, Messi's. I mean, if, if Barcelona give Messi a new contract, they're breaking, well, they're, they're risking their, yeah, the name yeah. of, they're yeah, risking well. the name of their football club if they do that, because mm. they are in serious financial trouble. You talked about it, didn't you? On we did recently. do a, a, a pod on it and it's, yeah, once you dive into it, it's worse than you can imagine. I mean, to be honest, it really shouldn't. They'll find a way around it probably, but it really probably shouldn't be allowed to play in the Champions League next year. Although the way they, they played the other night, they may not qualify via the league, the league or anyway. Um, I can't see anyone paying the money. The, the only thing I could see if it happens is you get a scenario where perhaps City want him and he wants to go and Spurs work a deal where, I don't know, it's £50 million or something and in return Spurs get Carl Walker back, they get maybe Bernardo Silva, they get Zinchenko, do you know what I mean? They get a group of players that levels out yeah. the the amount of money or something like that. That's that's the only way really I can I can probably see it happening. Because I I mean anybody who spends that sort of money at the moment is mad. Would PSG be brave enough? I guess maybe they would, but even in France they've got a financial crisis because of um loss of TV revenue at the moment that's possibly going to restrict even PSG a bit. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine him abroad for some reason but yeah. I think Kane's getting to the point now like I think Jordan you mentioned it before about Rooney and in that 06 World Cup when he went down against Chelsea with an injury I think Kane's getting to that point now where if if he did get injured like seriously the, the whole country would would be a bit worried really because of <laughs> that's that's how you know that's how important he is to for the Euros well, well, if England use him properly um, which is doing what he's doing for Tottenham which is dropping in being a creative force in the team England then, have got the players to do that haven't they I mean, England, England, England have got the most exciting crop of players they've had for a while yeah to be honest since certainly at least since that uh, that 2016 was brilliant but it had nowhere near the attacking potential of this team what that team in 06 had was a, a phenomenon in Rooney because Rooney at that point was yeah. definitely at world class level uh, but obviously went to that tournament injured. But I mean, the backup strikers, we had Owen, who was also injury prone, as proven at that tournament, Peter Crouch, who, who did a job, right? 
and he took bloody Theo Walcott instead of Jermaine Defoe. Well, what was he thinking? Yeah. But even still, Jermaine's been a brilliant forward, but Jermaine is was never he was never someone who went, he's going to be England's number nine or anything like that. Mm. You always thought, oh, he'll be a good impact substitute for England or something like that. Um, whereas this team now, this team could lose Kane and you could play Rashford up front. You could play Sterling up front. We're not mentioning other forwards, people like Calvert-Lewin, for example. But I think but none of them can do what Kane... Of course they can't. But obviously, in terms of tactical and the way you play different, the exciting bit about Kane is he's the one that doesn't have the pace. The rest of the team does. Mm. So use that to your advantage. You could play Rashford, Sterling, Sancho, and obviously not all three of them, unlikely, but any two of that combination in wide positions. We ain't mentioned Phil Foden. We ain't mentioned Jack Grealish. I'd want to get four of that five in the team. And that would mean that's playing 4-1-4-1, four, one, four, one, but I know that we're not brave enough to play like that. But it'd be exciting. It is. It is exciting. I am excited for the next World Cup, to be honest. The, the amount of talent that we've got. But yeah, you're, like you said, Kane dropping a little bit deeper. Yeah, he's he's like, like I've already said, I think he is one of the best strikers in the world. It's just a shame that he hasn't had apart from Son of, of late. I don't think he's had anyone else with him. Well, he obviously had a, he had a great relationship with Deli Ali. Yeah. Um, and Delhi is one who really has been impacted by injuries because so much of Delhi's is in the mind. He's a better player without the ball than with the ball. He's he's a brilliant late runner into the box. So many of his goals is coming in unmarked and his time is perfect. A bit like a la Frank Lampard, for example. But Delhi doesn't and has never had, say, Lampard's technical qualities. Um, but he's late running off the ball. Fantastic. But the hamstring injuries have really killed yards. I wouldn't even say taking a yard off his pace. I'd say I've taken at least two yards off his pace. And he, he's not as good on the ball as he thinks he is. He's a better player without the ball than he is with the ball. That's the reality. And even in his good spells for Tottenham, that was don't don't let Ali on the ball too much. Let Eric Erickson and Kane do the creative stuff. You make the late runs into the box. That's what people can't deal with. You can have the best technical players in the world, but if someone's got better movement than you, you can still kill them off the ball. Mm. Um, so he's lost that relationship with with Deli Ali. Has been bad for him. So Deli and and Harry in sixteen seventeen, the year we finished second to yourself, Jordan. I mean, phenomenal. Phenomenal. And then that was the year Sun started to score regularly as well. When Jose first came on the scene, Ali looked like he was going to be a different breed of player. Yep. Back revitalised. And then, I don't know what happened. You probably know more. It, some, something happened between those two. And, yeah, it just seemed to fall apart. I still think there's a player in him. I think there's a player there, in there's him. There's definitely still a player in him. Um, but it's not as a, as a central midfielder. It isn't as an attacking 10, someone to run beyond. To be honest, you think even Kane dropping deep, we get obsessed with this idea of people doing it from the wide positions now, say like Sun. And we have done even since Lundberg used to do it for you, Jack. Like we've become obsessed with that over the last 20 years, runners from kind of uh, out to in. But if Kane's dropping it, Deli can just go beyond him. And, and that had been happening for years at Tottenham anyway, where Kane had got for a header. Now Kane goes up for a header and he has to get his body in and win free kicks. In the past, he'd go up for a direct ball and Deli Ali would be running past him. So that's gone now. So he's had to alternate his game a little bit. Deli's problem is, and the, the, the injuries is the main reason why originally, but the, the main reason Mourinho doesn't like him is he spends too long on the ball. He doesn't move it quick enough. So the job for whoever's playing in that role, basically, is you get the ball to Kane or Son as quick as possible and however you do it. So if Son's got space, that's the priority. You find him instantly because if he gets away from you, that's it. You're in trouble. You're not going to catch him, most likely. Um, 
Delhi takes too long in his thought process to play the pass. He likes to feel and control the game. Like I said, he thinks he's a better player than, than what he is, but his best work is off the ball. He's definitely still a player in there. I'm glad he's getting integrated back in. We've had games recently we've been desperate for a goal scorer and he's not even sitting on the bench. Yeah, um, and that's incre- it's incredibly frustrating. Mm, yeah, that's mental. Finish your team, though, is it? I think so. Do do you want me to do 11 subs as well? We'll be here all night, I think, won't we? I think the manager is the next thing. I've got a funny feeling that you're not going to pick Mourinho. No, I'm definitely not. No, manager would definitely be Pochettino, 100%. Not even even a a debate. Not even a debate. Um, Lights, what Terry Venables did, the first Tottenham team that I had. I think Martin Joel did great for Tottenham because he he was the first one in a long time that actually got Tottenham playing attractive football but then got us to a certain level and we couldn't defend. And Harry Redknapp was the right person for Tottenham at the right time because all they needed was a cuddle and you had all these players. <laughs> but people forget, we were two points from eight games and that was a team that had Bale, Modric, King, a lot of players that were in this team that I've named. And they, they just needed a bit of a lift to say, you know, you are a good team, go and show it. But then when, when it came to the top level and you had to get tactical, Harry's still saying, yeah, Go on, run around a bit, lads. Do your thing. <laughs> um, he was great at motivation, but then in terms of tactically, he hasn't got it. You only have to listen to him speak on the TV in terms of tactically. And he'll tell you himself, Redknapp, this is, this is not about tactics. Football's not about tactics. It's about players. Yeah, I get that, but you haven't always got the best players. So if you want an advantage, sometimes you've got to do something that's tactical. And that's where Redknapp missed out. Because that 11-12 team that ended up finishing fourth behind yourselves, Jack, when Jordan, you won the Champions League, we should have pushed City and United all the way for the title that year. In January, we lost 3 2 at City in the last minute. I think we would have gone above them if we won. And then we just fell away. So, Pochettino, yeah, what Pochettino did for the football club is massive. What the biggest thing that he did was people got obsessed about Tottenham not winning a trophy now for 13 years. And a lot of people blame Pochettino for not winning one. Pochettino didn't care about the FA Cup or the League Cup, he ain't way to win the Champions League or the Premier League. And these were two trophies that for us, we'd only dreamed about. So the idea that he could he could get me to Amsterdam in the Champions League final, go to Madrid for the final and go to all these away days in Europe and not only be in them in like a group stage, but actually being quarterfinals and trying to win them and stuff was a shift in mentality. Um, for Tottenham to finish on 86 points the year you won the league with Conte, I mean, everybody forgets that 86 points was 15 more points than we got the previous season when we finished setting to Leicester. He kept taking it to a next level. Just fell a little bit short, but he was trying to win the big trophies. Mm. That's part why. So, you know, if Mourinho wins a League Cup, great. It stops people going, you haven't won anything for 13 years and it becomes a bit of your history. But does it improve you as a football club? Pochettino was trying to make Tottenham a, a massive football club. And the main thing he achieved was people now speak about Tottenham differently to how they did when he joined that's why he's definitely the best manager. Yeah, I mean, the, look, a league cup is is just papering over the cracks, isn't it? I mean, look, oh, it's the same at, at Arsenal now to a point. People are very uh, mixed on Arteta. I, I don't really know where where I stand with him, to be honest. But I, I think he gets a lot of credit for that FA Cup that that that's probably saved his job because if, if he hadn't have got that, he probably would have been gone by by November when we were in that horrible run. I think, I'm in no doubt on him, by the way. I think he's a very good manager. 
I think I think you would. I could understand if you sacked him because it, it was looking really bleak for you. But I think you will benefit massively from having come through this period. He's managed to get players back on side where there was question marks about and people like David Luiz and stuff. You've got. I mean, both of our clubs, Jack, we've got similar problems at the moment, and it's we've both got a lot of bad footballers. That's the biggest problem of all. Yours has philosophy and ideas in terms of where he wants to take the team. Now he might not get them there, but he's got an idea. Yours is potentially going to be an attractive brand. And I think he's learned a lot of good defensive stuff from Guardiola as well. To be honest, you, you have games recently where I think it's the best I've seen you look defensively in a long time. Going back to certain players who left Tottenham and went to play for you and stuff like that. Um, I think you you stick with him and be a right idea. Arsenal fans need to accept that this rebuild is long and hard and there's no divine right to be back in the top four. But I think the manager knows what he's doing. He's not the problem at the football club. Um, the problem's probably more upstairs that your football club's going to be a, a bigger issue in the coming years, I think. Yeah, just I just wish that uh, I suppose he had he had come in straight away for, for instead of Emery because that that just did seem like a wasted a wasted eighteen months and a lot of money down the drain. But uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we're we're through the the worst of it now. Do you think that? Mourinho will still be at Tottenham this time next year. Yes. I think he will. Regrettably. I would love nothing more than he proves me wrong and it's brilliant, honestly. I I would happily put my hands up and say, I was wrong, this football's great, you know, we're going to challenge for the league and stuff like that now. I I just cannot see how he's going to do it because he's not going to have what he was blessed with, as I said, walk into like John Terry at Chelsea and be blessed to go and buy people like Cavalios and Michael Wessians and stuff like that. He's not going to get that at Tottenham. So he needs to do something very different to what he's done elsewhere. Even the players he inherited in Milan defensively. I mean, Javier Zanetti is a magnificent player. Arguably possibly best right back I've ever seen. Walter Samuel, Lucio. He didn't pick up Mickey Mouse players at Inter Milan and they went and spent money as well. And at United, he couldn't convert them, did he? He's always needed money. Since Porto, listen, what he did at Porto was phenomenal, don't get me wrong. But from there, he's needed money. He's not going to have it at Tottenham. Or he's at least going to have to be very clever with it. Was he on his third? Will he be in his third year next year? However long it's been, Jordan, it's been too long, mate. Um, No, he's been in charge for, what, uh, 15 months now. Okay. So... If I was an outsider looking in, I would say he deserves the rest of the season to see what the conclusion is. As a Tottenham fan, I, I want jelly and ice cream. <laughs> I love that. Jelly and ice cream. Jose, obviously, I, I still love him for what he done at Chelsea, but it turned bitter. And when Jose turns bitter, and he, he's, he's done at every club he's been at, it, it's not good. It leaves a lasting effect and for years to come, you know, I don't know if that's going to impact Tottenham. Because, like you said, Poch built something at Tottenham. If I was a Tottenham fan, I wouldn't want Jose to destroy that. And it looks like he's already started to manipulate players, certain players like Deli Alli being left out of the team. He looks like he's always having a go at Oreo all the, all the bloody time. He's he, he just one of those characters. He can be really toxic. And when it get, comes to it, when he does end up in the media 24-7, that's it. Jose changes from the happy-go-lucky Jose or the happy one, like he says, to the horrible, nasty one. And it, it does not it does not end well. 
he's lost in the fact. I don't want to. I don't want to um, cause any pain to you at the moment. But um... and he's, he's doing enough by himself, mate. You can say whatever you like. <laughs> the, yeah. the Tottenham fans, in my opinion, who buy into the idea of Mourinho as a manager, are buying into the assumption that past, based on past history, mainly with money, that this this manager is going to deliver us trophies. Now, if he does it, the argument will stand. Even if it is just the League Cup against Manchester City, the argument will stand that he was brought into the club to deliver what Pochettino couldn't, which is win a trophy. And mm-hmm. if that happens, I'll have to go, yeah, it's worked. But when Mourinho leaves the football club, there is no way that Tottenham are going to be in a better position yeah. than when he arrived is most likely. And we might be in a better league position, but in terms of where the club's going to go and what Pochettino got it as a philosophy, it's worth saying, in fairness, the one thing I would say is there were players already that were causing a problem at Tottenham before Mourinho arrived. So, for example, like Christian Eriksen running down his contract and stuff. Carl Walker wanting, wanting to leave, even in the year we pushed yourselves, Jordan. Dembele obviously leaving. It was already beginning to, to crumble a little bit in fairness, before Mourinho. But Pochettino could see that that problem was coming and wanted to fix it. He was not allowed to. It's a shame Poch couldn't see out that project, really. But, you know, I, I think if Tottenham did have all those players playing in one team, then, yeah, we, we wouldn't be talking about Tottenham going however long it is now, 13 years without a trophy. And Oh, no, that, that, that team I picked will win the league, mate. We might have to take Ginola off after 60 minutes and put someone a bit more defensive on out there. But, yeah, that, that, that team's winning the league. A um, few names to shout out, just because I didn't mention them. Aaron Lennon was brilliant for Tottenham for a long period. Absolutely rapid. Michael Carrick was only with us for 18 months, but what a player. Oh, yeah. The best sitting midfield player we had. He was an awkward one to leave out of this, actually. So underrated. We've had one some of, good players. That, to be honest, that's how it's always been for Tottenham. We've had great individuals. I mean, Lineker was another forward, never mentioned. We've had so many good individuals, but it was only the last few years we've actually had a decent team. That's the thing with Tottenham. I think they've always had, like you said, individuals at the wrong time, never together. I don't Even think. that, Dembele came when Modric left. Yeah. And there's plenty of cases. That, even if you go back to the 80s, Lineker signed for Tottenham to join Gascoigne and Waddle. Uh, and within a week of Lineker joining, Chris Waddle went to Marseille. It's, it's always been that way for Tottenham. <laughs> to be honest, the last five or six years, we've stopped selling players to big rivals. There's certain ones like obviously Ericsson running down his contract and stuff like that. But generally speaking, we've stopped selling our best players. And that was always the philosophy where the football club was going to get to, where the club becomes big enough in itself that it's not a case of, oh, Manchester United want your player, your player's going to go. We have gone beyond that now where we can say, no, actually you can, I mean, look at the stadium now. It's, if we can ever get back in it, it's phenomenal. It is unbelievable. Although I would prefer to be it. If you're picking this team, you're saying, which stadium am I playing in? I'm playing in the old stadium, by the way. Why? Atmosphere? Yeah, it's home, isn't it? It's what you grow up. I'm, I'm sure even like for yourself, Jack, you probably prefer hybrid, don't you? And it'll be the same for you, Jordan. If Stanford Bridge looks massively different once it ever gets redeveloped, you'll you'll prefer the old place. I mean, it's just it's natural. It's part of your history, yeah. isn't it? The mod, the new stadium is as good as they could have made a new stadium be under the circumstances of having to cater for media and corporate and make the money out of it, etc. Um, it is I, it's, it's unlike any stadium I've ever been to anywhere um, in terms of its facilities and whatnot. But give me the old one. Give me that that horrible cue for the toilet at halftime and all those things, um, with the better atmosphere, much better. I mean that yeah. last that that last year at White Hart Lane 
was we played 23 games, 121. We had most teams beat inside 10 minutes, but the football we was playing was different, Kia. That's proper football, though, isn't it? Proper, proper atmospheres, proper stadiums. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you now. I'm gonna have like some profiteroles or something and think about Mourinho and curl up. Not jelly and ice cream. No, that's when he leaves, mate. <laughs> Cheers, James. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure. Cheers, James. Really appreciate it. Where can people find you? Uh, everywhere, <laughs> quite often. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Planet FPL Pod. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel as well. We do. Uh, five podcasts a week freely available. We do another five on Patreon as well, which are mainly fantasy football uh, related. Uh, we do have a Sky Fantasy Football feature we do on a Wednesday as well. I do some live streams on YouTube as well. Um, we do delve into other stuff like you mentioned, Jack. We did a podcast recently on Barcelona's finances. So it's, it's mainly fantasy football, but it's not restricted to that. Um, my podcast partner, Serge, is a season ticket holder at West Ham. So we have plenty of banter and stuff as well uh, yeah another team who Tottenham are their biggest rivals I mean that's to sum it up Jack you ate you ate Tottenham the most Jordan you ate Tottenham the most my pod partner Suge West Ham he ate Tottenham the most well we, you know just just to be clear by the way the only ones we really ate is Arsenal that's fair enough I still hate Arsenal as well it's commonly known <laughs> in the podcast <laughs> it's commonly known now brilliant thank you very much James right Jack what we got next week so next week, we're back again with another top 10. We are going to be ranking the top 10 greatest one-club men. Lovely. So the Athletic Club? Yeah, the, the Athletic Club, didn't they? They did an award. Um, I think Letizia or someone like that won one recently. Interesting, interesting. Some law plays there. Thank you, listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you, James, once again. That was brilliant. Uh, make sure you check us out on the socials, at FTLOL, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, you name it, we're on it. And keep it FT low. See you next week for another For the Love of List segment. Remember to follow our Twitter at FT Low Podcast and to like, comment, and subscribe.